Isn't it good to worship the Lord together, uh, corporately? Uh, I know uh, I even prayed this this morning, and I appreciated what Laura said about the, the routine thing, because it can become that. And I hope and pray, my hope and prayer for myself, for my kids, for my wife, for my friends, for this community, for this church, for all of you, is that God is totally not ever routine. That he's consistent, yes. He's personal, yeah. But not just routine. If it ever is just routine, then I'm not sure it's God. Because our God is not just routine. And so I'm glad to be here in a fresh, new, different time with you guys. We'll never have this time again. We've never had this time before. And so I'm excited to be here. So uh, for those of you, I know that there's a few of you in here who have never been here before. This is your first time. It's truly like the first time for you. So it's definitely not routine. So we want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Um, and we also want you to know this is a safe place for you, for you, your family, to really dig in, to ask the real questions about who God is, about what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus uh, and and, and a relationship with him. Um, So we are in a series called God's Fingerprints. And I love this series because we are talking about uh, some things that we don't normally maybe talk about. And we're talking about all the things that are around us that God has his fingerprints on. The truth is, if you look around, if you think about all of life, God has his fingerprints all over us, all over everything in, in life. And, uh, and so we're talking about those various things. And so today we're going to talk about an expectation that God has for us and the evidence that we see of this expectation that God has for us all around us. Specifically, in fact, it's very relevant today with all the rain that we've had and how green. Have you noticed that after the rain, everything just looks more green, like everything comes alive a little bit more? It's kind of maybe kind of annoying if we're sitting in a soccer game, apparently. Uh, it can be annoying. Um, but, but the rain is just so good and so necessary. Without it, nothing exists. Nothing exists. And so today we're going to talk about an expectation that God has for all of us. But to get us thinking about this topic, I want to show you a picture. This, this picture is a picture of the oldest tree in the continent of Europe. Okay, so if you were to go through all the trees, I don't know why we try to figure this stuff out, but we do. And I'm kind of fascinated by this kind of stuff. So this is the oldest tree in Europe. It is said to be, they, they think they actually, and of course you can measure this in trees. So we, we have a pretty accurate thing on this, but this tree is 1,075 years old. This tree is. Isn't that cra- crazy? Just really crazy to think about. It's 1,075 years Old. Now, just to put that in perspective, this tree started growing in the year 941 A.D. 941 A.D. The Vikings were still marauding like the northern Atlantic Ocean at that time when this tree started its life. Okay? And it still is there. Okay? This is the oldest tree. And the question I have for this, if we think about this, how does a tree not only survive but grow and thrive for that long? How is something that huge and just this amazing, how is that possible? Well, clearly what we might imagine, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of resources that this tree needs to be able to do that. Well, today I want to talk about an expectation that we don't always talk about. And it's an expectation that God has for you and I. He has for every 
living thing. In fact, he created this in plants and animals, but he definitely created it in humans. And it's this expectation that he wants us to grow. That he doesn't want us just to survive. That he doesn't want us just to, to, you know, to exist. But God has this expectation upon us, upon our life, that we will not just survive, but we will thrive, that we will grow. And so we want to talk about this expect, uh, expectation today. And there's this ex, expectation that God has for all of us, but specifically that he calls us to grow. Now, we can talk about a lot of different ways that we grow, right? Uh, we can grow physically, right? We, we, we are born as a baby. Thank goodness we aren't born like as adults, right? That would be a problem, right? But we're born as babies. We're little, we're cute, you know, soft and like, oh, and then we grow up, right? I'm not saying we're not cute and soft and all kinds of stuff. I'm just saying, okay? We have babies and we grow up and we grow and we, we do that physically, right? And we mature, Okay, we also do this emotionally, right? We do this emotionally. We, when, when we're kids, we kind of have our emotions and we can't always control them a lot. That's why when you go through the grocery store, sometimes you'll see a kid laying on the ground screaming. That's called a tantrum. Those are awesome for parents. We love those times. Those are just so good, right? We love that. But that's but why. It's because they haven't grown up in their emotions yet. They haven't matured in their emotions. They need to grow in that. Well, in the same way, God wants us to grow physically, wants us to grow emotionally, but he has a real expectation for us. And the most important way that he needs us to grow is spiritually, to grow in our relationship with God in our faith. So what I want to do today is I want to spend the the few moments that we have together today worshiping together. Now I want to spend some time just talking about three things, three things that are required if we are going to grow in our faith if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, in our relationship with Jesus, three things that are really required. These are not the only things that are required, but these are three things to think about that if they're not a part of your life, then there's a good possibility you're not growing in your faith. So we're going to talk about three things. So the first one is this. Growth requires risk. You guys, we've talked about this before at Northridge, okay? But growth requires risk. There's a principle out there that says there's no way that you or I, that anybody can grow unless we do something that we don't think we can do, okay? Let me give a physical example of this, okay? Lifting weights. Lifting weights is this way. At some point, if you want to build muscle, if you want to get stronger, whether it's arms, legs, no matter what it is, whatever muscle you're trying to build, at some point, you're going to have to start lifting weights to do that, okay? So if you're not lifting weights, you have to start lifting weights. If you're already lifting weights, if you want to get stronger, what do you have to do? You have to lift heavier weights, right? You can't just lift the same weights and, and, and grow stronger. You will maintain your strength, but you won't grow stronger, okay? You have to actually take a risk. And I remember this in high school, uh, man, and, and you can imagine me in the gym. I'm not exactly the most uh, impressive specimen <laughs> in the gym, right? And so when I started playing soccer and basketball and running track, every one of those sports, we had to go into the gym and the coaches required us not only to practice our skills, but to also lift so that we were getting stronger, building our stamina and building muscle strength. And so I, I, I just hated those times, you know, uh, but, but they were good. They were good and I did it. But I know always what it was is everybody's around, all the guys are around. And so you do not want to look like that guy that, you know, he only lifts the bar, right? I'm just kidding, but 
maybe not kidding a lot, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're, you're sitting there at the bench press and you go, yeah, put another one on, put another one on. No, one of the 45s, like, yeah, yeah. And in your mind, you're going, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, right? It's a risk. It's a risk. The only way to build muscle, though, is to be able to push up more weight than what you are sure you can do. That's why you have spotters that are there to make sure that you're safe, okay? You have to risk, you have to take a risk to push up more weight or to do more reps than what you think you can do in order to build muscle. You have to tear the muscle so it repairs itself and then you have more muscle. That's how we build it. Well, it's the same spiritually speaking. God calls every one of us to take risks each and every day. Risks. Um, Tanya has given us a challenge. Laura mentioned it already. And so I'm glad that they did because it just is one of the risks that I know that I have for you and for me. And that is to invite people into a relationship with God. Now, maybe you don't have to lead them to a relationship with Jesus, like in the store or when you're hanging out at your house or whatever. But perhaps one of the ways that you can do that is to invite them to church, to come with you. Not, and by the way, can I give you just some quick advice to, to help make this better? Not only easier for you, but also for them. When you invite somebody to church, invite them to come with you, not to just come. Okay? Because if you say, hey, it's at this time and it's at this place, and they're going, there's no way I'm going to go to the village here and try to figure that out. Right? That's weird. But if you say, hey, can we just, well, we can come meet you at your house or we can meet you outside the doors or whatever, we'll walk in with you. If that's, it would, be, would that be okay? That will take it another level for them to be able to say, okay, that was one barrier I was scared of, but I'm willing to. But let's be honest, for you to say that to somebody and say, hey, would you come with me to church? That's a risk because who knows how they're going to respond. I get it. All right, that's a risk. There's other risks that we can take, some other practical examples. I mean, uh, one of these is coming up very soon, September 24th. Tanya was just mentioning this. We have our Celebration Sunday. To be honest, I'll just put a quick, uh, I love Celebration Sunday with the baptism. I mean, it is one of my absolute favorite days. There is, there is nothing like it to see when somebody has accepted Christ and then they get baptized in front of lots of people uh, there's just nothing like it in all of the world. And we celebrate. We have a, a huge time. We have a blast. The water's warm, which is really a bonus, right? But it's just a phenomenal time when we get to see people publicly declare that they are followers of Christ. But let's be honest, for the people who are getting baptized, it's a risk, isn't it? They have to choose to do this in front of people. But let me just challenge you. Let me just challenge you. If you've accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized, I know that a big reason probably why many of us have not is because it's scary. You're worried about doing it. Let me just challenge you. If you've never been baptized, consider doing it. Listen if God is telling you that maybe you need to do that. Take that risk. Take that challenge. Because there's something that is really different when we put ourselves out there before God in a different way when he calls us to take a risk for him. There is a direct parallel between the amount of risk we take for God 
and our growth in God. In other words, if we never take any risks that God asked us to take, then there's a good chance we're not going to grow. There's a direct correlation. If we don't risk, we don't grow. If we risk just a little bit, then we're going to grow a little bit. Okay? If we risk a little bit, we're going to grow a little bit. That's not bad, but it's not necessarily the best. But there are things that God calls us to do. Maybe you get baptized. Maybe you invite somebody to come to church with you. Okay? Where God asks a big risk of us. And when we take those risks, when we're faithful in that, when God calls us to do something, to take a jump, when we do that, then God helps us to grow in our faith. And God shows himself faithful to us. But we need to be able to risk. There's, uh, there's something in, in our brand of Christianity, the American brand of Christianity, I think that has gotten twisted. Um, and this is, this is going to fly in the face of some, maybe what some of you have been taught. But some of the American brand of Christianity has taught us, or maybe it's not even been taught to us, but it's just been caught by our culture. And it is this idea that our faith, our relationship with God, has to be only private. It's that it's, that it's something that we do in the privacy of our home, and it's not really for other people to really know about. It's a private thing. Now, the truth is, yes, it's a private thing. But it has never, God never intended our faith to be only a private thing. In fact, I want to share with you a verse. First Timothy, he was t- he's talking about, the author of First Timothy, he's talking about all the things we need to do as followers of Christ. And then he tells us why we need to practice the things that we need to practice. And this is what it says. First Timothy 4.15, it says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, these things that we need to do as followers of Christ, so that, Why? All may see your what? Your progress. We could put in the word growth. God never intended our faith to be something that we hide. God never intended our faith to be something that we we read our Bible and pray in secret. And then we go to our soccer games and we go to our football games and we go to our things and we just do what we want. God has always intended that our faith would be lived out in front of other people so they could see what it means to follow God. In fact, let me put it a different way. The private parts of your walk with God is what gives you great power in your public life. Do you believe that? How your private life goes, how you are and what you do and how you are with God when it's just you and God, not you and somebody else, not you and your family, not you and your friends, not you and somebody else, but how you really are when it's you and God alone, your private time with God, your private prayers to him, your thoughts to him, okay? How you are in that is what will give you great power or not publicly in front of other people. So it's not a private thing. It should be a very personal thing, but not only private. And I get it. That flies kind of in the face of sometimes what we've been taught in our various traditions and in our culture. Okay? But that's how it is made to be. Growth and risk have to go together. If you think about, like, for example, the Apostle Peter. Remember Peter? He's the guy that uh, Jesus called him Satan at one point. <laughs> you know, I mean, Peter messed up a lot. He just messed up a lot. But one thing that Peter can never be accused of, 
he can never be accused of is not being willing to take a risk for God. I mean, he's the guy that says, Jesus, tell me to jump out of the boat right in the middle of the sea. Right in the middle. Let's go. Yeah, tell me to jump out. I'll jump. Uh, Tell me. And Jesus says, all right, absolutely, do it. And he jumps out and he walks on water. Then he he freaks out. (laughs) And he starts sinking. Jesus has to save him. Come on, man. Right? But he walks on water. Peter gets to preach the first sermon after Jesus is gone, has ascended to heaven. Peter gets to preach the first sermon and 3,000 people come to save salvation in Jesus. Peter gets to do that. You know why? You know why Peter gets to do that and not somebody else? The reason is because he was willing to risk more than other people. It doesn't make him better than other people. It just means he was willing to risk more than other people. He has grown a lot. Faith And growth in our life is directly correlated to our risk, our willingness to put it out there for God. All right? All right, so the first one is growth requires risk. We'll we'll stop on that. We could spend a lot of time on that. The second thing that is required is growth requires pruning. Now, doesn't that just get you excited? (laughs) I mean, how many of you want to sign up for growth now, right? Ah, I want to be pruned. That's awesome. Right. I mean, this is the this is the worst point in the history of points. Right. I mean, it, it really is like, because everybody's like, oh, OK, so in order to grow, I need to be pruned. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Uh, that's just terrible. But the truth is we need to be pruned in order to grow. Just like plants, just like anything. If you want it to grow and to blossom and do the best that it possibly can, you have to prune it. And any gardener, anybody that is a botanist, they know this. That pruning is absolutely necessary for a plant, for something to grow to its best. Okay? Well, the same is true for us. In fact, Jesus, I've shared this passage many times. Jesus' words in John chapter 15, he tells us that this is absolutely true. He tells us what God needs to do for us if we're going to grow. Listen to what it says. John 15, first four verses. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true grapevine and my father or God is the gardener. God cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He's talking about areas of our life. Okay. Cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, Jesus says. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. See, what Jesus is talking about very simply is spiritual growth. He's talking about that the only way we grow is to allow God to cut some things out of our life and to prune some things that are already in our life and make them better. He's talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about growing in our faith. Now, he'd mentioned two things. He talked about pruning and he talked about cutting off. (laughs) I don't know about you, but neither one of those sound like fun, right? They don't. They're not necessarily comfortable things. Neither one of these things are. But I want to talk about these two things just briefly. Okay, pruning. Let's talk about pruning first. What is pruning? Pruning very simply is when God takes an area of our life that's not bad, but he needs to make it better. It's not that he needs to get rid of that area of our life. He just needs to take it and make it from good to much better. So it's producing some fruit, but it needs to produce a lot more fruit. 
Okay, that's what pruning is. Let me give an example from my own life. You guys know a little bit of my story. Uh, I went to college to be a public school teacher. God gave me uh, an excitement and a passion for teaching. I love teaching. I also love people. I love working with people. I love spending time with people. It's just, it's my, I just, I get energy from that. I love it. God put that in me. It's not something that I've, you know, just learned to do. It's something that God, I've always been that way. God put it inside me. And so I became a public school teacher. I taught history and coached soccer with love and life. But then God wanted to prune that part of my life. He wanted to change it. And so as you guys know, because I stand before you here not teaching a history class this morning, some of you would doubt that sometimes, right? Because I do bring history in from time to time. But I stand not before you as a public school teacher anymore, but as a pastor. You know why? Very simple. God pruned that area of my life. He said, okay, you're doing okay. You make an okay teacher. But I really need to see more fruit from your life. And it's not going to happen with you being a teacher. Understand, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a teacher. There's nothing wrong with that profession. I love education. I love being a teacher. I love that part of it. I love working with the kids. I love working with, with students. I love working with people. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it wasn't the best for me because God designed me a little bit differently. I needed to allow God to prune that area of my life so that more fruit could grow. So the second thing, though, that, John, uh, that Jesus talks about in John is about cutting things off. Now, that's really an exciting thought. What is he talking about there? What Jesus is talking about is things in our life that God needs to get rid of. Things, areas of our life, habits in our life, relationships in our life, things that are destroying us. Maybe we know it, maybe we don't, but things in our life that are we could call it sin. We could call it just that it's damaging. We could say that it's really producing the wrong kind of fruit, maybe rotten fruit in our lives, right? How many of you want to eat rotten fruit? Nope. None of us want rotten fruit. And so God doesn't want rotten fruit for us either. Let me give you an illustration of how sin and how these rotten parts of our life can work against us. Uh, most of you have probably heard of the emerald ash borer. Uh, here in Wisconsin. If you haven't, uh, I have a picture of it. This is, this is what it looks like. Okay, there's one picture uh, and there's another picture. I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of, yeah, for bugs, as bugs go, it's kind of a pretty bug, right? It's kind of got the, I mean, uh, let me just tell you, my daughter Hannah, if it has sparkles, she's all about it. I mean, it's a done deal. She, I, I kid you not. I don't know what it is. She loves sp- sparkle anything sparkle anything. She loves to put sparkles on her face and sparkle, sparkle everything. And so this is kind of like a pretty bug, but the emerald ash borer, as its name suggests, it has become the most destructive insect in our nation in all of history. Because what the emerald ash borer does, as you know, because of its name, and you've probably heard of it, it actually attacks and goes after ash trees in this nation. We have four different types and it attacks all four types of ash trees. Um, now, what, what it does is actually this beetle will find an ash tree and it actually burrows itself through the bark and digs itself. You can kind of see the, they make these little D-shaped holes in the ash tree. And so what they do is they actually dig in and then they plant or they, they lay their eggs underneath the bark on the edge of the tree, underneath the bark, and then they take off, they, they leave. 
Okay, now the eggs hatch and then the larvae comes out, right? And that's just basically a gross looking worm. It's not sparkly at all. It looks pretty gross, right? I'm not going to show you pictures of that, but just take my word for it. It's kind of nasty, right? But it's kind of, it's basically like this white worm, right? And this worm, after it hatches, it starts eating its way kind of in a random crazy pattern through the ash tree. And it basically destroys the ash tree's ability to carry nutrients from the roots up through the trunk and to be able to produce, you know, what it needs to in its leaves and be able to survive. And so it slowly kills it. All the larvae just eats it out from the inside out. In fact, an ash tree, if you would look at it, you would kind of see these, these holes, but an ash tree would look very healthy and very normal except for these little holes. In fact, you probably wouldn't even be able to tell. But this is the interesting part. If you were to pull the bark off, let me show you a picture of what the ash tree looks like on the inside. See the scars? Massive scars on the inside. The ash tree is literally being destroyed from the inside out. On the outside, it looks fine. But on the inside, it's being eaten away. Okay? Now, what this has done is the emerald ash borer has basically taken over. Okay? The emerald ash borer is not from our country. The first time we ever even saw one of these things in our country was in Detroit, Michigan. Those Michigan people, right? <laughs> Detroit, Michigan, right? And we found the emerald ash borer. It, it literally, we think it arrived on a ship through the Great Lakes. There was a crate with wood that was made of wood. And the emerald ash borer, we think, got out of there and then ended up on the ash trees. And then it reproduced and then it spread from there. So let me just show you a map of what this looks like right now, okay? The gray area, it started in Detroit, Michigan, right? Which is in the center of that. The gray area, basically every ash tree in that area is doomed. It's done. Like it's gone. The whole Midwest. And we're included in that. Okay? The emerald ash borer has literally taken over. The red area is where it already has migrated to and it has spread to. So the emerald ash borer is already in those areas, started to kill ash trees. The green and the blue is where it's headed next. Okay? In, in the next two to three to five years, it's expected the emerald ash borer will basically be all across the country. Okay? Now, here's why I use this illustration. It helps us to see visually what's going on. This is like sin. This is what sin does to us. It slowly gets in and it's enticing at first. It might even look like a pretty bug, right? Sparkles. Let's be honest. Sin is never something. We kind of paint Satan as this grotesque, evil, ugly looking thing. We we paint sin as something that would be nasty and gross and, and we should just not get into it. Sin is never any of those things. You know what it is? It's the things that you really kind of are enticed by that you like. That's what sin is sometimes. Sin are the things that you can't defeat because you actually kind of long for it. But it goes against God. And what we do is it's like the emerald ash borer. We allow it into our life and it digs in and it plants itself there. And it slowly begins to grow and it begins to scar our soul and our relationships, our family, friends, our thoughts our actions, and slowly the sin takes over. And all of a sudden, a few years later, decades later, we realize that we've given our life completely over to sin and that God's no longer really even a part of it. So it's like the emerald ash borer. In order to grow, 
Sometimes it's going to require us to allow God to prune and to cut out parts of our life. It's not comfortable, but it is necessary. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what we need to do with sin. It says this, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Or in other words, the champion who helps us grow in our relationship with God. It's got to be a regular thing where we allow God to prune our lives and to change our lives. I know that that's difficult. I have a hard time with change sometimes. I, it's funny because I tell you guys, you guys know, I talk about change all the time. And I, I've learned, had to learn that myself. But it's absolutely necessary for growth. All right, let me give you the third one. So growth requires risk. Growth requires pruning, our favorite one. Growth requires practice and effort. All throughout God's word, all throughout the Bible, God constantly is telling us, you got to work at this. You got to practice. You got to get into the Bible. You got to start praying. You got to listen to God. You got to talk to God. All these things. We've talked about all these things. You need to come together and worship corporately together, like what we're doing right now. This is necessary. Did you know God commands us to do this? That's why Sundays are so important. Because God commands us to come together to worship together. He's good if we have a personal and private relationship with God. But God said it was never designed to stop there. It was designed, I designed you to grow and to be with other people and to help encourage each other and to be accountable to each other. That's why we come together corporately to worship. And so we have all these things. Serving in a local church, all this kind of stuff is necessary. We have to practice what we know God wants us to do on a daily basis. It's not just enough to come and sit in church and listen about God. We need to actively pursue God as much as he pursues us so that we will grow. Now, here's the deal. You might be sitting here and thinking, I don't know if it matters. Does it really matter to read God's word on my own? Does it really matter? Maybe you wondered that. Maybe you're wondering that right now. Does it actually make any difference in my life if I get into God's word on my own? Does it make any difference if I actually talk to God directly? And I don't mean like, you know, on a Sunday morning in front of people. I mean you telling God your fears and your hopes and your dreams and crying out to him and saying thank you to him, giving praise to him for all the things, talking to God and then listening for his response. Did you know that God responds? It's not like us sitting down for coffee and talking, but God does respond. It just takes a little bit more effort to hear sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're spinning our wheels, right? That we're not growing, that we're doing this. Have you ever felt like, I've felt this way, where you read the Bible every day, you get into this, and, and, and sometimes it's just, it's cool, it's vibrant, it's like, wow, 
That was really good stuff today, God. Thanks for that. That was, that was amazing. I know. I Man, I need to change some things. Man, and it impacts you and it convicts you and, and you know you need to change and you're clear on what God wants you to do. Uh, but there are sometimes, I know there are many times in my life, there could be week, stretches of weeks in my life where I'm reading God's word and I'm thinking, I am just, I just don't feel like I'm growing. I just don't feel like I'm moving anywhere. Feel, you know, it's kind of like the wheels are spinning. Right? It's like the roadrunner that's, you know, uh, the coyote where he's, you know, he gets up his speed and he doesn't actually take off until after like three seconds later. Right? That we feel like we're spinning our wheels. I want to share an illustration with you that I think illustrates very well how sometimes our spiritual growth works. There's a plant in Asia called the Chinese bamboo. You guys have maybe heard of it. But this Chinese bamboo is very interesting in how it grows. If you were to take a Chinese bamboo seed, it's tiny. It's just a tiny, tiny little thing. And if you were to plant it in the ground, you know, cover it up with soil, start watering it, nurturing it, making sure it gets enough sun, make sure the soil's not compacted too tightly around it, you know, take care of it. Do all the work to make sure the weeds don't take over, you know, so you pull the weeds and you, you kind of, you nurture that seed. You do everything you can. So in the first year, you know what's going to happen in the first year for Chinese bamboo? Absolutely nothing. I mean, you're not going to see anything happen. You might in one year, and I mean a whole year, you might see a little sprout come through the, the, the ground, right? If you nurture that seed just right, if you do everything you're supposed to, everything you're right, okay? Year two, you know what happens? Same thing, nothing. It sits there, little sprout, maybe not even a little sprout. I mean, nothing. It's like, I'm just watering some dirt. It's awesome. You know what happens year three, though? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing happens. I mean, literally nothing happens. It's, it's just, you can't see, no, no visible change. You know what happens though year four? It's amazing. Nothing happens. Nothing. Okay? Nothing visible is going on. But then year five comes along. And you know what happens in year five? If you've done everything that you're supposed to do, the best of your ability, not perfectly, but everything that you can. You know what happens? All of a sudden, in year five, the bamboo shoots up out of the ground 80 feet. 80 feet in less than a few months. It just shoots skyward. You know what it's been doing for five years? It's been building a foundation, a massive root system, so that it will support the massive weight that happens in year five. So that it will not only survive, but it will thrive. So here's my point, guys. I think that, especially in the United States, we don't realize that this is sometimes how spiritual growth works. We can read our Bible, we can pray, we can get into it year after year, and sometimes we feel like we're spinning our wheels. But God wants us to understand and wants to encourage us and say, listen, you do the work, you build the root system, you build that foundation of faith, trust in God. And God says, just wait and see what I will do. And you're going to have some of those times, some of those years where it feels like you're spinning your wheels. But then you're going to have some other times where the fruit will magnify and all of a sudden you're going to shoot up 80 feet. Not physically, that'd be weird. 
but spiritually. I've seen this happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in some of you just recently. Right? You've shot up 80 feet in a short amount of time. But let me encourage you. You've got to take some risks for God. You've got to allow God to prune you. I know, worst point in the world, but it's absolutely necessary. And you've got, you have to work at this faith thing. You've got to practice in who you need to be with Christ. And God will be faithful. He promises it, I promise it to you. He will be faithful if you put in that effort to grow your faith and to build that roof system. And then you will see times where all of a sudden you will see amazing things happen. I've just been privileged to see some of those times when I've seen bamboo, spiritually speaking, shoot out of people. And it is awesome. Awesome. And they're changed forever as a result. So I have a simple question for you. Are you growing? It's a simple question with a simple answer. Are you growing? Has God called you to risk or to be pruned or to start practicing and putting some things into your life? And what has been your response? Have you said, yeah, jump in, lean into it? Or have you resisted? Let me challenge you. If God is calling you to risk or to grow in some area of your life, take it. You're not going to regret it. And God will be faithful to grow you. And I truly believe God promises that you will see fruit that comes out of that. It'll be amazing. Let's pray. God, I very simply pray, this is one of those things that you have called us to do. You have called us not just to survive, but to thrive. My fear, God, is that in this country we have a whole bunch of Christians who they're not thriving. They're just surviving. I pray that Northridge, that the, and when I say Northridge, God, you know what I mean. God, I, I mean the people of this church. I pray that you would help us not to be just people who kind of exist. Help us to thrive. Help us to desire and chase after you and to grow. I pray that we would be people and that we'd be a church that every now and then, whenever it's it, the, the, the timing is right and whenever you are ready to move and make this happen, that, that we shoot up 80 feet and people take notice. Not because we're great, but because we put in the effort to grow and because you are awesome. Help us to risk. Help us to allow ourselves to be pruned and help us to really work at this. 
Help us to build that foundation, that root system that will serve us not only for the rest of this life, but for eternity. Help us to grow. Help us to be willing to grow. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.